That's it. That was your cue. What was my cue? That right there. You're supposed to say, Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. That's right. Then you say, Myths from Around the World. Myths from Around the World. Okay, and a stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast. A stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast? Well, where are we? How are we going to get home? I'm going to get scared. Everything will be all right, trust me. This is a continuation from the Dog Days of Podcasting 2022. Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Audio Theatre. I am your host, Sir Hector Stewart. We'd like to welcome you back around the campfire. As you can tell, I have been freed from my bonds, and we will continue on as if none of this ever happened. We are considering this part ten of Aladdin and his wonderful lamp. Uh, you know, if you've been listening long enough to be part of the story, you know exactly how we got here. No need to explain. So, from all of us here at Masterpiece Audio Theatre, please sit back and enjoy the tale. Here is part ten of Aladdin and his wonderful lamp. The Sultan advanced to the couch and kissed his daughter and asked her if she was happy and content. By way of answer, she glared at him in sullen silence, for she had not forgotten, in dreams or in waking, what had happened to her. The Sultan, not understanding what had befallen and feeling annoyed, turned and left the chamber to lay the matter before the Queen, whose ear their daughter's tongue might more easily be loosened. So he came to the Queen and told her how Bedr al-Badur had received him, concluding his recital with a remark, Thus it is, there is trouble behind the door of that bridal chamber. But the queen smiled at his serious face and answered him, O oh, my lord the king, thou knowest little of the heart of a woman. When it is happiest, a trifle make it sad, and when it would send tears of laughter and joy to the eyes, it sometimes turns perverse against itself for the very gladness, and sends tears of pain instead. Wherefore be not angry with her, but let me go and see her. She will surely confide in me. So saying, she arose and robed herself, and went to the bridal chamber. At first sight of her daughter's dejected attitude and bind expression, she imagined that some lover's quarrel over a mere trifle had occurred. But when she kissed her, wishing her good morning, and Bedrail Badur answered no word to give her salutation, she began to think that some grave trouble rested on her daughter's mind. And it was not until she had coaxed her, and using every argument known to a mother, that she received an answer to her question. Be not angry with me, O oh my mother, said Bedrail Badur at last, raising her sad, beautiful eyes. But no, but a terrible thing has happened, a thing which I hardly dare tell thee, and thou think that I have lost my reason. Scarcely had we retired, O oh my mother, than where suddenly appeared a huge black shape, terrible, horrific in aspect, and this, I know not what or who, lifted the couch whereon we lay and conveyed us in a flash to some dark and vile abode of common people. And then, to her mother's astonished ears, she unfolded the tale of all that had happened during the night, till, suddenly, in the morning, she awoke to find the monstrous shape replacing them in the bridal chamber at the moment her father, the sultan, had knocked at the door. 
and that, oh my mother, he concluded, is why I could not answer my father, for I was so bewildered and stricken with unhappiness that I thought that I was mad. Though, now I have thought of the affair from beginning to end, I know that I have my wits like any other. Truly, oh my daughter, said the queen with great concern, if thou wert to tell the story to thy father, he would say thou wert mad. Wherefore I counsel thee, child, tell him not, neither to him nor to any other one. Nay, O oh my mother, answered Bedrail Badur, dost thou doubt me? I have told thee the plain truth, and, if thou doubt it, ask my husband if my tale be true or not. But the queen replied, Sweep these fancies from thy mind, O oh my daughter, and arise and robe thyself to attend the rejoicings which this day have been prepared in the city in thine honour. For the whole people is in glad array, and the drums will beat, and music will delight the ears of all, and the musicians will sing thy praises, and all wish thee long life and happiness. Leaving Bedrail Badur then, with her tire women, the queen sought the sultan, and begged him not to be angry with their daughter, for she had been distressed with her unhappy dreams. Then she sent for the vizier's son to come to her secretly, and when he stood before her, she related to him what Bedrail Badur had told her and asked him if it were true, or if he knew aught of it. Nay, he answered, for he had thought the matter over, and feared that the truth might rob him of his bride. Besides, his acquaintance with the wooden closet seemed to him discreditable, and he felt little inclined to boast of it. Nay, O oh my lady the queen, he said, I know naught of these things beyond what thou hast told me. From this there was no doubt left in the queen's mind that her daughter had suffered from a nightmare so vivid that she'd been unable easily to cast it from her. Nevertheless, she felt assured that, as the day wore on with its gaieties and rejoicings, Bedra Elbador would be enabled to rid herself of these troublous imaginings of the night and resume her former self. All that day the city was thrown into a state of the utmost festivity, which the sultan and the queen busied themselves to augment. For to restore their daughter's happiness was their chief concern. The Grand Vizier, who knew only that his daughter-in-law had been troubled by evil dreams, laid this not to his conscience, in that he had persuaded the Sultan to break his pledge, but attempted rather to mend matters by adopting every means in his power to increase the universal gaiety. The drums beat, and the music echoed through the city. Trumpeters went forth, fanfaring the beauty of Bedrail Badur. Heralds proclaimed her graces in the streets and byways. Singers extolled her charms, and the heavy burden of taxation was lifted from the people's backs for one month, so that they might stand up for a little and see what a great man was the Grand Vizier in the Sultan's eyes, and what a charming person his son must be to deserve the beautiful cause of these wondrous things. As for the vizier's son, he ceased not to pursue all manner of gaieties, thinking thereby to convince himself that the wood closet was naught but an odious dream. But all this festivity and rejoicing failed to dispel Bedra Elbador's gloom. Being of a sincere nature, she could not pretend like the vizier's son, nor could she love him better for stoutly denying what was plain truth to them both. And as the city went about its gladness without restraint, Aladdin strolled forth from his mother's house and viewed it all from the point of view of one who knows. When he surveyed the delighted rabble rejoicing over the happiness of the bride and bridegroom, he laughed within himself, saying, Little do they know 
But when he heard all men envying the great honor and distinction of the Grand Vizier's son, and praising him in that his excellent qualities had won the heart of Lady Bedrail Bedour, he feared that he might die for laughing. Verily, ye glad people, he said within himself, ye would envy him to distraction if ye only knew that he would far sooner rest in a closet than on a bridal couch. <laughs> ye doubt me? Then come and peep into the wood closet tonight, ye rabble, and see for yourselves what a happy bridegroom he makes of himself, the gallows bird that he is. At evening time, when the wild rejoicing of the city had fatigued itself against the replenishment by wine, Aladdin retired to his chamber and rubbed the lamp. Immediately the slave appeared and desired to know his wish. O slave of the lamp, said Aladdin, do as thou did last night. See to it that thou convey the bridal pair hither again, as man and maid, at the eleventh hour of their innocence. The slave of the lamp vanished in a moment, and Aladdin sat for a long time. Yet he was content, for he knew that the wily Efreet was but waiting his opportunity. At length the monster reappeared before him, bearing in his arms the bridal couch with the pair upon it, weeping and wringing their hands in excess of grief and terror. And, at Aladdin's word, the slave took the vizier's son as before and put him to bed in the wooden closet, where he remained bound fast in an icy chill. Then, having dismissed the Efreet with injunctions to convey the pair back in the morning as he had done the day before, Aladdin placed the sword between Bedrail Bedour and himself and composed himself to rest, regardless of her weeping and restlessness, for, he said to himself, I am sufficiently rewarded for all my trouble. The vizier's son hath retired to the wood closet. He careth not for this world's joy, the gallows bird, and he leaves me his bride to protect in the hour of need. Verily, he is of a trusting nature. And Aladdin slept not nor stirred the whole night through, and it was as if Badra Elbador's sobbing and tribulations were cut off from him by the sword that lay between them. And when it was morning, and the sultan was about to knock at the door of the bridal chamber in the palace, the slave of the lamp appeared and conveyed the bride and the bridegroom swiftly back to their palace. On being set down in the bridal chamber, dazed and bewildered, they had not returned to their proper senses when the knock came at the door. The sultan had come to wish his daughter good morning, and to see also if she would behave towards him as on the former occasion. The bridegroom arose, shivering with cold, for he had but a moment since left the wood closet and opened the door. He made way for the sultan, who entered and approaching the couch, saluted Bedrail Bedour with a kiss. But when he asked her if she was not the happiest of women, she made no reply, but met his gaze with an angry stare. It was easy to see that she was perfectly miserable, but the sultan did not look at it in that light. He only saw what he took for sullen obstinacy, and, flying into a passion, drew his sword, saying, By Allah, tell me what ails thee, or thy head will not remain upon thy body. Then Bedra el wept, and supplicated him, and told him what had befallen on the second night, as on the first, so that as she revealed it, all his pity was aroused, and he sheathed his sword. Thy words ring true, O my daughter. He said, But fear not, and be comforted, for at this moment I am minded to set a guard on this chamber, so that no such thing may happen a third time. For the present, peace be on thee. The sultan repaired immediately to the grand vizier, and told him all, and asked him whether he had received the same version of this matter from his son. 
but the Grand Vizier shook his head in the matter. But the Grand Vizier shook his head in the manner of one who might be lying and might not. Then, said the Sultan, go at once and question him, or it may be that my daughter hath seen visions and dreamed dreams, albeit I am unable to disbelieve the truth of her story. So the Grand Vizier went and inquired of his son, and presently returned to the Sultan in great perplexity of face. For his son, whatever he had admitted before, had now confessed to everything, even to the wood closet, and, moreover, he had begged and implored his father to obtain his release from the most unhappy marriage, since it was better to be without a bride and sleep in peace than to have one and perish with cold in a wood closet. Thus it was, the Grand v Thus it was with the Grand Vizier's son. Oh, king of the age, said the grand vizier, who could not see his way to conceal the truth. My son telleth the same tale as thy daughter, the lady Bedrel Madour. Wherefore I beseech thee that thou set a guard this night, so that... Nay, broke in the sultan angrily. It is an unhappy marriage and bodes no good. Thou did persuade me that my promise to that woman in respect of her son was not binding. But these unhappy events and ill-omened affairs make me think that thou wast mistaken. Abide not another night, for worse may happen. Go forth, overseer, and proclaim the marriage annulled. Bid the people cease to rejoice, and command all to go their own ways and comport themselves as if the marriage had not been. At this, the Grand Vizier bowed his head and went forth exceeding wrath and proclaimed the annulment of the marriage to all the people. Great was the wonder at this on every hand, for among them all none knew why, save one alone, and that one was Aladdin, the master of the lamp and of the slave of the lamp. He alone knew, and it was almost with regret that he decided the wood closet need have no tenant that night. Whether the Sultan had swiftly forgotten or tardily remembered his pledge, Aladdin troubled not to inquire. He waited patiently until the three months had expired, and then sent his mother to demand of the Sultan the fulfillment of his promise. So it transpired that on the day of the expiration of the terms, the Sultan saw Aladdin's mother standing in the hall of audience. He was not astonished at this, for the matter of his broken, twisted pledge had somewhat disturbed his dreams. Behold, there she stands, he said to the Grand Vizier. Bring her before me immediately. The Grand Vizier arose, his face like autumn leaves, withered in the wind, and did as he was bidden. What is thy suit? asked the Sultan of Aladdin's mother, as soon as she stood before him. Then, when she had kissed the ground and prayed for the prolonging of his life, she answered, O oh, king of all the earth, these three months thou didst proscribe are at an end, and I have come to ask thee to redeem thy pledge in respect of thy daughter and my son, Aladdin. The sultan, who had not now the bowl of jewels before him to blind his vision, regarded her intently and saw that she was of a humble state. Then, as he turned in perplexity to the Grand Vizier, he observed that the expression on his face was the expression of one who ponders the laying of a stratagem and the way it should be hatched. What is thou thought on this, O Vizier? He said, My word is my word, and I regret that thou shouldst have explained it away. Yet it seems to me that this woman is not of the kind that could mother-in-law my daughter. Hast thou a plan which is not a trick? If thou hast, whisper it in mine ear. The Grand Vizier was pleased to hear the Sultan appealing to his ready wit in this way, for he was consumed with chagrin at what had befallen his son, and desired only to non-suit this woman who had outbid him with the jewels. So he unfolded his plan, his stratagem, his trick, 
privately to the Sultan's ear. Oh, King of the Age, he said, thy pledge holds good as it ever did, yea, as good as marriage vows. But verily, if this common's woman desire thy daughter for his wife, there should be a settlement benefiting such a suit. Wherefore, ask him forty bowls of gold, filled with jewels of the same blood and tincture as the woman brought at first, with forty female slaves to carry them, and a fitting retinue of forty. This thing, which is in a sultan's right to ask, it seemeth to me he cannot contrive to execute, and thus thou shalt be free of him. By Allah, said the sultan, thou art ready of wit, O vizier. Truly a marriage settlement is needed. Then, turning to Aladdin's mother, he said, O woman, know that when one asketh the daughter of a sultan, one must have standing, for it is so in the royal circles, and, to prove that standing, the suitor must show that he is able to provide for the sultan's daughter, and to keep her in the state to which she has been accustomed. Wherefore, he must bring to me forty golden bowls, filled with jewels such as thou did bring, with forty beautiful female slaves to carry them, and forty black slaves as a retinue. Come like this, thy son may claim my daughter, for the sultan's word is the sultan's word. A sad woman then was Aladdin's mother. She returned to her son sick at heart, saying with herself, Forty bowls of jewels, with forty maids and forty black slaves. How can my son do this? Better he had not entered in this affair. Then, with bitterness, she added, The sultan asketh far too little. Forty-five bowls, with forty-five maids and forty-five slaves, and a palace to boot. Oh, what a thing it is to live up to such a demand as I have made. Thinking like this, she found her son and spoke sorrowfully to him. Oh, my son, she exclaimed, weeping, said I not to thee that the Grand Vizier was thine enemy? The Sultan remembered his pledge, but the Vizier made his bones rot, spack in his ear, and the outcome is this. Forty golden bowls of jewels, forty female slaves to carry them, and forty slaves as an escort. With this dowry, O oh my son, thou mayest approach the sultan and claim his daughter as thy bride. Loudly Aladdin laughed to scorn. Oh, my mother, he said, it is all the sultan requireth. <laughs> the grand vizier, may his bones rot as thou sayest, hath proposed what he imagines an impossible thing. But it is not at all impossible. Now, mother, set some food before me, and when I have eaten, I will tell thee. And when his mother had brought him the food, and he had eaten, he arose and went into his chamber. There he brought out the lamp, and, sitting down, he rubbed it. Immediately the slave appeared. What is thy wish, O oh my master? Lo, O slave of the lamp, knoweth that the sultan hath promised me his daughter, but repenting him of his promise, he hath required of me that he thinketh a dowry impossible for anyone to compass. Forty golden bowls of rare and splendid jewels, carried by forty maids with an escort of forty slaves. Therefore, I desire all these things of thee. Therefore, I desire all these things of thee. I obey, said the Afrit, and vanished. In less than an hour, he returned and led before Aladdin forty beautiful maidens, each carrying a golden bowl of jewels on her head, and each accompanied by a magnificent black slave. And when Aladdin's mother saw this array, she knew that it was done by the lamp, and she blessed it for her son's sake. Then said Aladdin, 
Oh, my mother, behold the dowry is ready according to the Sultan's requirement. It is for thee to take it to him, to shew him what is in my power, and also that no time hath been lost in complying with his request. Then the maids, with the golden bowls of precious stones, arrayed themselves in the street outside the house, and by each maid stood a slave. Thus, led by Aladdin's mother, they proceeded to the Sultan's palace, and the people crowded in the streets to see this unwanted sight, for the maids were richly dressed, and all, with the sun shining on their raiment and flashing in the jewels they bore, made a magnificent spectacle. Never had the people seen such jewels, never such beauteous damsels, never such magnificent slaves. A cottage like this was a wonder beyond the reach of kings. But Aladdin's mother headed the procession, unmindful of their shouts of acclamation, for she well knew that she was going before the Sultan in a manner and with a gift that would take his breath away. When they reached the palace gates, the wonders of the people spread to the soldiers and the guards, who, after a moment of speechless admiration, found tongue to say to one another, Does this earth contain such splendid jewels? And are there such radiant maidens even in the fragrant paradise? An amazement got hold of them, and their hearts leapt in their breasts, so that none amongst them could ever think to become an anchorite, or hope to call one grandson. And so it was with the commanding officers, the chamberlains, the officials of the palace, and the grandees and the nobles assembled. They were all cast in the depths of wonder. The whole place effervesced and shimmered with the excitement it had never known before. Thus in due course came Aladdin's mother before the sultan, leading the cortege into the audience hall. And so they stood before him, a magnificent array, before whose dazzle and splendor the riches of the place, the nobles and the grandees with their costly robes, even the sultan himself with the throne whereupon he sat, all seemed poor and common by comparison. The maidens took the bowls of jewels from their heads and set them on the ground. Then they made abeyance, they and the slaves prostrating themselves before the sultan, and, having done this, they all arose and stood before him in humble reverence. And when the sultan's gaze at last left the beauteous damsels and fell upon the bowl of jewels at their feet, he was beside himself with wonder and admiration, and he was the more amazed that the surpassing wealth in this form could be brought before him in the short space of one hour. For some moments he was speechless, then, when he found his words, he commanded the whole cortege to present itself with the jewels to the Lady Bedrail Badur in her palace. So, in due order, with the perfect grace of movement, the damsels took up their precious burdens, and thus, escorted by the slaves and led by Aladdin's mother, they went in to the Sultan's daughter. While they were laying this dowry before her, Aladdin's mother returned to the Sultan and spoke with him. Oh, King of the Age! She said, "'Tis but mere a trifle, and scarcely worthy of the priceless rarity of thy fair daughter.' "'What sayest thou?' said the sultan, addressing the grand vizier. "'He who can control such wealth is surely worthy of my daughter.' But the wily vizier, who had twice persuaded the sultan, and had twice been beaten, was minded to chance a third attempt, for he could not bear to see the lady Bedrel Bedur pass to Aladdin without a struggle. Oh, my lord, he said, green with envy, rich though these things be, thinkest thou that they are worth one single curl of thy daughter's head? Thou art the king of the earth, and the lady Bedrel Bedour is thy daughter. This gift is not worthy of her. Perchance that is why thy son feared to bring the like, lest I should be displeased. 
returned the Sultan sharply, for he had saw the Grand Vizier was envious to excess. Then he added to Aladdin's mother, Tell thy son he need fear not, but that I shall keep my promise. But bid him come hither to me with all haste, so that I may look upon his face and accept him as my son-in-law, for the marriage shall be this very night. Aladdin's mother flushed red with joy, redder than she had ever known as a girl. The Grand Vizier turned white with rage, whiter than his false heart had ever been, even when a boy. After a dagger thrust of glances between them, Aladdin's mother made obeisance to the Sultan and thanked him. Then, with contempt for the Grand Vizier written plainly on her face, she withdrew and returned home, balking on the air. presentation of the myths from around the world a special dog days of podcasting contribution sound clips are from GarageBand and can be found in their samples library the stories that we have shared can be found at gutenberg.org we can be found on facebook on the masterpiece audio theater page on nimlas.org or you can email us at j at jglangjans.com this podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 unported license. Thanks for joining us.